Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. People really believe that pushing through without food, without rest, without recharge for your brain, as well as for your body, by the way, because your body supports your brain, is the way to get through the day. Would you treat your dog as poorly as you treat yourself? Would you actually force your dog to stay up by just feeding them coffee so that they can get through their day, you know? Welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. How many days do you feel like you are running ragged and just getting to 9 p.m. without a nuclear meltdown feels like a win? Once in a while, allowing your tank to run all the way down to the empty line might be okay, but do it too often or run it too far down and you risk running your business out of gas altogether. My guest today is Catherine Morissette, experienced facilitator, speaker, and coach with 30 years experience training around personal and organizational resilience. Catherine is going to share with us how to better maintain your own stores of personal resilience so that you can get your time and energy back. Catherine, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you, Geraldine. Thank you for inviting me today. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. So give us a high level to start with. What is resilience and what is it not? It's, a re it's such an important question, and I hear so many people who really believe that resilience is running, you know, 14 or 16 hours a day and never taking a break. And actually, that's not the definition of resilience. That definition is of insanity. And so let's define what resilience is. Resilience is a little bit like, you know, when you go and you buy a blender or a car and it comes with a manual. And just this week, I bought myself a soda stream and it's got a 10 page manual. <laughs> and in my car, I've got a 600 page manual to, you know, troubleshooting instructions. What do you do? It's the kind of gas you need and all of that. And resilience is really your life owner's manual, the one you didn't receive at birth. You know, but if you had a resilience manual, it would look like troubleshooting, instructions, what do you need, the kind of fuel you need, how much do you need to recharge, the kind of rest you need, and so on and so forth. So resilience is really our life owner's manual. So that's number one. Number two is resilience is us bouncing forward. We don't get to go back. The term resilience was originally borrowed from engineering. And you know, when you stretch a rubber band, if it's not too old, it goes back to its original dimension. But when it comes to life, we don't go back to being 20 or 25. We can only go forward. There's no other place. And the last definition I'd like to give right now is it's about thriving. 
It's about your quality of life. It's about you healthy. It's about you functional. It's about you excited about your days, about your life, instead of coping, surviving, you know, another day, another dollar, not good. If you do that too often, you're actually spiraling down into burnout. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because I think it's really important to see what are the signs and symptoms. And there's a profile to burnout. And most people, if we have a couple of symptoms, we don't really understand how it works. So I'd like to share that with you today. So the opposite of resilience is burnout. And it can affect us physically or mentally or both. And a burnout is a depletion. It's not a depression. And maybe we'll have a chance to dig into that a little bit more. Excellent. So tell us almost why are we even having to have this conversation? What is it that you see in society that makes you go, Houston, we've got a problem here? <laughs> Do we ever have one? Number one is nobody got the manual, you know? It's like we, we arrive and at adult age and we look around and nobody tells us what to do. And I still meet people who literally tell me, you know what, I'm cheating the system, I'm eating whatever I want, I don't get enough sleep and I'm good, I'm good. I'm thinking, mm, no, actually the only person you're cheating is yourself. Nobody else will live the consequences of your actions. So the reason... We live in a society, and I will say global society, so I'm not going to go into cultural differences, but more like this global society of perfectionism, of doing more with less, of new goalposts, of new base camps, and trying to do it all. And if you are a small business owner, or if you are self-employed, you're having a multiple hats every day, right? You're the doer, you're the person who is doing all of those things, but you're also the person who holds that GPS and say, where are we, where are we going? And then you're also that person who literally needs to keep themselves on the map business-wise. It's not only what you do operationally, it's strategically based on your GPS. Where are you going? Are you heading in the right direction? What's the next step, etc. So this takes a lot of energy. And really our conversation today is how do we, and I'm going to use maybe a term that we use in another situation, but that's really relevant for resilience. How are you managing your resources? Hmm. You know, you budget your money, literally, you tell your money where to go instead of wondering, where did it go? I wonder, you know, and you tell that to your clients, right? But the thing is, we have different kinds of resources in life, and they are time, and everybody knows about time. I always, I'm always asked to do time management, but we forget the other two. Energy management, you could have all the time in the world. You can say, well, and have no energy whatsoever or really believe that what you have is no time, but actually what you have is no energy. Example, I've often asked my clients, so you say you don't have any time at time. No, no, I don't have any time. So what are your favorite Netflix series? I mean, they'll say, well, recently, and I said, so you have time. What you don't have is energy. So time is number one, energy is number two, and number three is inner space, mm. the mental space you need to make good choices and decisions. And so many of us have no idea that we are literally renting out our inner space to social media, to expectations from the world where they're not, they're realistic. So in our society, I would say that we live in an incredibly perfectionist society where we are expected to define ourselves by how much we produce and how perfect that is. And um, 
I see so many people around me who are my clients, either in group sessions or one-on-one, who really believe that they're project managing their life, their business, their family, their clients, and there is no sense of having a life that fuels them, and their life becomes very imbalanced, and they get more and more depleted. So I'd like to explore this a little bit with you, because I think that um, I'd like to to look at how do we budget the right resources in the right amount of time. Ooh, you're talking to people who love budgets. So this is perfect. I know, I know. <laughs> so before we get to that question, I wanna ask you how you see in particular business owners and entrepreneurs, how you see this playing out for them. Like what are the symptoms that they would recognize before they're able to understand the so-called disease? Mm. You mean, are you talking about uh, mental breakdown or burnout? All of it, yeah. All of it. Um, I would say the number one is feeling that whatever you do, and no matter how much you do, you never see the light at the end of the tunnel, that your in-basket is always full, that things are, are never done. Your to-do list seems to reproduce overnight. So that's <laughs> symptom number one, you know? You know, you've got all of those things. Oh, like, where did that come from? Bunnies in a warehouse. <laughs> that's it, exactly that. Number two is that feeling of feeling, being perpetually overwhelmed. Mm. Not only is it that there is no light at the end of the tunnel, but there seems to be a freight train coming your way, you know? Yeah. And then you've got that feeling of tiredness, not this fatigue that comes from a few nights that you stayed up too late, but more like years. Yeah, like worn down. Worn down, but also like you're again by two o'clock every day and you feel, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. Or what I call the syndrome of another day, you know, another week, another month, then I'll get a break. And by the way, I love to give that example. You know, you wouldn't drive your car and say to your car, well, we'll give you gas when you get there. That will be your reward. You would understand <laughs> that gas is a need, not a reward. You know, it's so obvious. It's so logical, right? When it comes to us, we're so not logical. We take so much better care of our cars than we take care of ourselves. Yeah. So, okay. So the first symptom was no light at the end of the tunnel. Second symptom is you feel overwhelmed. Third symptom, you're always tired. Number four, you get a lot more intense, a lot more emotional, whether it's anger, whether it's the sense that you're feeling not only depleted, but emotionally down, you're losing your confidence in yourself that you can keep going. You're getting sick more often. You've got more headaches, belly aches, backache. You just don't feel well. And that thing about the self-doubt, when it becomes that you feel you can no longer do as much, where you feel, and this is the critical, critical symptom. When you start having to work longer hours because you're not as productive as before, when you feel your productivity takes a nosedive, this is the time to really pay attention that you are now in a burnout. Oh, most people would just plow on through and just use the snowplow, yes. just like <laughs> power up and push right on through. So Exactly. And so what happens is people start working evenings and weekends in order to compensate for their lack of productivity. And guess what? That's a spiral way down. Right. And could I add one more thing is that you don't feel it. If you're in a burnout, and I've had my own burnout when I was in my late 20s, 
you just don't feel it. And people I work with one-on-one and people who are in a burnout, it literally, you need to tell them, you know what, this is the profile. There's 12 signs, 12 symptoms. You've got them out. You told me you've got them out for months. You need to address it. It's not going to go away any more than breaking your ankle and walking on it and expecting it to get better is going to get you that solution. Right. Yeah. You need to address it. So this is so interesting because it feels almost like the norm in American, North American culture Mm -hmm. and that people exist with it and they just take it as a given of like, this is the way life is. And I'm just going to like truck on through and hopefully it will change itself by itself on its own someday. So let's go over to your point about how to live a thriving life. So now once we know the symptoms, how do we shift out of this? Well, okay, let's go back to budgets. I love <laughs> Great place. About that. We love budgets. Each day is 24 hours. We agree with that, right? So divide your day into three thirds, eight hours, eight hours, eight hours, eight hours for work, eight hours for your personal and family life, eight hours for self-care, including sleep. I don't even like the word self-care. I'll say self-support. So anytime you work extra time, any day you work extra time, you actually probably are working 10 hours and you fully expect that your day is miraculously going to extend and now it's going to be 26 hours, right? We all do that. We (laughs) all do this every day. And then you realize suddenly that that time you had, you know, predetermined to do your, you know, your daily walk, your exercise program, spending time with your spouse, with your kids totally disappeared. I wonder why. And we need to get back to that sense of reality. And I think that the biggest question I have as someone who would want to build a resilience is, is this realistic? Is this actually reasonable or respectful of myself? You know, if I wouldn't drive my car without gas, why would I drive myself into the ground? And what does that mean for my business? And going back to the definition of insanity, the definition of insanity is repeating the same stuff, expecting to get different results, working over time, thinking that one day you're going to finish that to-do list. So number one is to look at how do you budget your time based on your priorities, not on demands, on priorities. And I like to refer to that budget as a 3D budget, three-dimensional. You've got those eight hours for work, those eight hours for personal and family, and those eight hours for yourself. And to actually determine within that what's important. And it will always be too much for your plate. There's no exceptions. I've never met anyone in my life, who tells me, well, I own a small business and I've got too much time on my hands. It doesn't happen. (laughs) It just doesn't. I've been been in business for over 30 some years in my life. I can tell you, it doesn't ever happen. And the thing is, we have this myth that, you know, someday things are just going to fall into place and magically it's going to slow down. No, it won't. These are your choices. And every one of us makes choices based on how far are we willing to go? Am I willing to go until five o'clock today? Am I willing to go until 10 p.m. and then work weekends as well? Am I going to go until I'm on the practically dying, you know, 
And we all have different choices and those choices have different consequences. I've actually seen people who were willing to go all out until actually they were taken on a stretcher to, you know, to the ER. I've seen people who were willing to sacrifice their family. I've seen people who were ready to sacrifice their life. The thing is we need to become conscious that what we ignore doesn't disappear. You know, if you cross the street and you ignore the cars, they're not going to disappear. But when we talk about, you know, overwork and ignoring what our body is telling us, what our mind is telling us, you know, saying like, I can't do this any longer. I'm just too tired. I need a break, but I'm just going to keep on. I'm going to get that extra strong coffee and just keep going. This is insanity. And so we need to get away from that. So you said something in there about driving yourself into the ground and there's just something of a magnetic or addictive temptation about trucking on through. And like you say, the pieces will all come together. If this has been, a, let's say, a lifelong habit, how do you begin to undo this process? There are so many forces in play. I'm going to take it from a different perspective by answering your question. And I'm going to start um, to talk a little bit about when we live in a perfectionist mode we, in a world, we live in a binary mode. Either you're perfect or you fail. That's what the binary mode means. And so if I were to look at what a learning mode, if you wanted to change something in your life, you, if you take the binary mode, and we've all done that, I'll give you an example. You start a new diet to get healthier. You start a new exercise program and you do it for a couple of weeks. And then you say, well, that doesn't work for me because I don't have the time. And it obviously doesn't get me the results I wanted, which is losing 30 pounds in a month, which is impossible, by the way. Okay, so, and then you go back to square one. So you have those very vague, overwhelmingly perfect goals and they never work. So number one is small step. And, but this is something important. We need to change from that binary mode of perfection or failure into what I call a learner mode. And let me describe it. If you've got a one-year-old who's starting to walk and they're taking their first steps, they're going to stand up and they're going to take a couple of steps and they're going to fall on their little diaper and they're going to try to cry a little bit and then they'll get up and then they'll start again. And then they'll walk a few more steps hanging onto the kitchen table and they might you know, take a few times and they're going to practice. And at the end of two weeks, you won't even find them. You know, these little guys are climbing the stairs and everything. As adults, we've forgotten how to learn. And this is so sad. We try a few times and we fail. And instead of thinking, this is part of the learning, I don't know what I don't know. I need to practice. We just say, well, that's never going to work. And we've done this. The number of people who have tried taking, I don't know, to play the piano, to learn to dance, to learn a language. And after a week of taking language classes, well, obviously I don't have any talent for languages. And so I'm just going to stop. That's the failure mode. That's failure. You're failing yourself because you have refused to take the learner mode. So the learner mode is knowing that it's going to take you time and that to learn anything, it's not going to be that straight line up vertically. It's not going to be even a diagonal line. It's going to be lots of ups and down, good days and bad days. And so to take small steps and to know that you will need to be aware of the learning mode and to be patient with yourself. So what's one small step you could take to actually decide at what time you're going to stop work today? 
That would be so simple. Decide that today, five o'clock, I'm done. Because we all, again, we all got our unknown decisions. We're making our choices. Whether or not we decide it consciously, we're still making that choice. Um, I can decide that demands will control the rest of my day. I can decide not to make a decision. I can decide unconsciously that I'm not making a decision. And that's a decision you're making. In the same way that crossing the street without looking is a decision you're making, whether or not you're conscious of it. And so ignoring a situation will not improve it. Ignoring that you need rest and recharge. Would you let your phone go down to a 2% battery? And my feeling is you wouldn't. And yet people do that to themselves all the time. They'll let themselves go down. So small steps, learning mode, taking breaks, stopping work, stopping your work day when you feel it's reasonable instead of crazy. And knowing that you will not please everyone all the time. And this is so important. And I believe that as long as we let ourselves be controlled by demands, we're going to live that impossible life. Let's stay with the, the practical day management and the bleeding over of, um, you know, say you decide to stop work at 5 p.m., stop in air quotes, because maybe you step away from your desktop, but then you've got your phone in your back pocket until, you know, 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. And your brain never gets a chance to shut off. So can you comment on the sort of uh, short tether of the mobile phone? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's easily become an addiction. And if you look at the uh, uh, DSM, the Diagnosis of Statistical Manual for in Psychology, you'll see that cell phone addiction exists. Uh, it's very attractive to just like, if your phone is right here in front of you on the table right now, my guess is you're looking at it. You know, oh my God, I got a new email. They didn't forget about me. I'm still alive. <laughs> Thing is, we easily get controlled by technology. And I would suggest very simple things to have. Uh, you decide when you close the door to work. You decide whether or not you're going to, to look at your phone. My personal strategy, and again, I've been in business a long time, is when it's not work hours, I'll put my phone on silent. So maybe I'll see something, I'll meet my, my, my check once. And, I'm, and the temptation is so great that once you've seen an email, especially if your laptop is right there, it's almost it's looking you at those, with those sad little eyes telling, telling you, you know, open me, open me. No, no. And then you find yourself after checking one email, two hours later, you're still there. Okay. And it's actually deciding... You decide on your life choices. You decide whether or not you're going to look at your phone. Your phone is not in control. You are. It's time for us to remember that. It's so easy to forget. You know, you can, you can close the door to work. You can close the door to your phone and decide and know that it's going to be hard. Any change you make is going to be uncomfortable which is why we so much look for outside solution. If I could come and tell you the magical solution to not see looking at your phone, you'd love this. It doesn't exist. Anyone who tells you they have the perfect solution, that the guru of taking control, it doesn't exist. It's back to you. What decisions are you making in your workday, in your life that support you? Excellent. I love this. And Keeping my eyes off my phone is like asking me to walk past a plate of double stuff Oreos. 
like I can't, I just got to put them in the cupboard so that I don't see them. And then it's a lot easier. Let's talk about taking breaks in the day. I think there's a tendency for people to work straight on through, hardly get up from the desk, eat lunch at their desk, not go outside, see the light of day during the daytime and not give their bodies or their brains, their minds a break. So what do you have for us in terms of breaking up our workday so that we, like you say, support ourselves to work our best? Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, people really believe that pushing through without food, without rest, without recharge for your brain, as well as for your body, by the way, because your body supports your brain is the way to get through the day. No, it doesn't. It's like, you know, would you treat your dog as poorly as you treat yourself? Would you actually force your dog to stay up by just feeding them coffee so that they can get through your day? through their day, you know? Um, it's about taking, and, and there's a term there's a, for that, it's called detachment breaks, where you literally take a 15-minute break for your brain to recharge, for your body to recharge, stand up, look outside, go outside, you know, just even if it's five minutes, allow your brain to recharge. You, first of all, you'll be a lot more productive. So s- research tells us that people who take a half-hour lunch break Detaching from work, which means you're not checking your social media because your brain reads them at work as well, okay? You're not on the phone with a client. You're actually taking time for yourself to rest and recharge. So you're eating something. You might be outside. You go for a walk. You have a conversation with maybe your partner or your kids if they're around. You literally take that break. People who do that, their level of productivity in the afternoon, they make better decisions by 50% over someone who did not take that break. So we're looking at, this is, we're not talking about a 0.2% improvement. We're talking about a 50% improvement over your productivity. The thing is that your brain needs that to recharge. And it's so interesting that in marketing or in publicity, we use that like Netflix or an hour and a half. They're not four hours things. You know, people are supposed to take a break. TV programs, are also, they're, they're broken down with commercials the same way we need to have those breaks. It's not an, so how do you do it? I personally, I use a timer. I use a really annoying kitchen timer <laughs> uh, because it really forces me to go down to my kitchen and stand up and I might be, oh my God, I can't believe it's ringing again. But it gives me that, that uh, no, no negotiation. I need a break. To stand up, like even the minute movements we had before during our workday when we worked in an office have disappeared. Like you don't need to literally stand up and get into your car and, you know, get out of the parking lot and drive home. And there is something else I want to talk about those breaks is we also need what I call a transition break at the end of the day between your workday and your home. It's a bit like you just ran the marathon of your day. And you wouldn't look at the marathon running and say, well, you just finished one. Let's take it on to the other one. What are you doing? Are you lazy? You're sitting down. You're doing nothing for 15 minutes. You just run to, you know. And so we need to actually get to that point where we, and here is my suggestion. You know, before you had a commute when you worked in an office Mm -hmm. and you no longer have that commute. And my guess is that you're working during that time. And so instead of working during that commute time, which was your downtime, this is the time when you listen to music or maybe if you took the bus or a train, you were reading a book. Now you don't have that. 
take that time, create that space at the end of the day, at least 30 minutes, maybe change your clothes, go for a walk, have a cup of tea, a glass of wine. I don't really care what you do. The important part is having that break that gives you that moment to rest and recharge. It could be as short as 30 minutes. And even if you're a mom or a dad with young kids, kids can be literally trained to have quiet time. They often welcome it. And it's not time for TV. It's not time to play video game. It's like quiet time. And the same for you. It's off technology. So that quiet time goes a long way in terms of protecting your mental landscape, your mental health. So getting back that inner space that we talked earlier about having those that resource management, it's actually helping you reconnect with yourself. It's actually getting you to, oh, I'm here, I'm alive. There's a reason we're so fascinated with two things, mindfulness and decluttering. Mindfulness, because we're always running around like chicken without a head. And mindfulness is the ability to reconnect with yourself, to recenter yourself and say, hey, I'm here. This is my life. Hey, I live here. This is not a dress rehearsal. That is the only life we have. And to actually take stock in terms of what do I need to do for myself today? Big question. As we're having this conversation, I'm imagining assembling my own sort of life owner's manual Mm -hmm. of all the things to, in this case, as it were, take care of Geraldine, all the things that she needs to be well cared for throughout the day. And for the listeners, perhaps they're thinking the same. And yet it seems like there's, I want to touch on the element of the superhero cape, right? And particularly now with work from home, moms working, kids at home. Yeah. The sort of belief that somehow I'm the exception and I can do it. And I saw, I saw a, um, like a little Tweety meme thing pass through my feed the other day. And it was from some accounting big four, I don't know what. And it was in accounting, we work 80 hours a week, we bill for 50 and we get paid for 40. And, you know, my mind hears that. And I think, what has you making this choice? There's some payoff for you in making this choice. We can understand all the things that you're talking about intellectually and say, yes, that makes perfect sense. But if the power of the superhero cape keeps us donning it day after day, how do we take that off if somehow we think we're the exception or sometimes or somehow we just have to plow on through? I'm so happy you brought this. I think this is so important. You know, underneath the cape of superhero is that feeling that no matter how much you do, you always feel inadequate because we go back to binary mode, Mm -hmm. perfection or failure. So if you're not doing it all, then you're failing yourself and everyone around you and you're showing yourself to be vulnerable and weak. Take a moment and look around at how many things you do for everyone around you, whether it is literally, I would say parenting your clients or parenting your spouse sometimes, or having that project management approach to like that you determine everything that's going to happen. There's one way to do things and that's your way. And that's part of the cape, the superpower cape. Thing is, it's not that there's a payoff to being perfect, is the the debt you get into if you're not perfect feels overwhelming. 
So it's not that you are perfect, it's that what you uncover is that it's either zero or 100. And there's no place anywhere for something that's aside from that binary approach. We're not superpowers, we're human beings, we're alive, we're alive being, we need maintenance. We need maintenance just as much as a car does need maintenance. And you know, putting a few drops when you're running on fumes is not going to fill your, fill your tank. So the way we've discovered what to do, and here it is, it's called cloning. <laughs> <laughs> and so I meet so many people, especially women, because there's a gender to multitasking. And women feel that we are so much better than men at multitasking, and we're not. We're just expecting even better results because we're supposed to be good at it, which is, again, wearing the cape. Um, and to be aware that what we define as multitasking is not multitasking. So I'd like to define what multitasking is and to say that what you're, what you're actually doing is FOMO, fear of missing out. Let me explain. Multitasking is the ability to work on multiple files and multiple projects without losing track of where you're coming from and where you're going with that. Simple. Your definition of multitasking is more likely you're eating your sandwich, answering phone calls, you know, getting another client's file on, preparing notes for your afternoon meeting, and checking with your kids what they're doing, and maybe lifting weights under your desk while you're at it. You know, like it's impossible. And the thing is that all the research about multitasking is that you can do one thing really well and the rest is in the background. So either you talk on the phone with that client or you're listening to your kid. You don't do both. Your brain will automatically slow down by 50% and you'll make 50% more mistakes when you are doing that kind of multitasking where it's not automatic. So we're ta not talking about walking, chewing gum, breathing and having a conversation where you've got one thing that you're focusing on and the rest is automatic. So what I mean by FOMO, fear of missing out, is that when you are very stressed and stress being defined as this super heavy duty activation and reaction to a perceived threat. And a threat could be your phone, your schedule, your clients, your deadlines, it's whatever you define as a threat. And whether you feel it's a threat doesn't mean it's real. It's just you, your perception is this is a threat on you. Automatically, you start scanning the landscape for grizzlies. So you look around and you're checking and you're doing one thing and you're looking around and what else is going to kill me right this minute? Basically, that's what your, your brain is doing to you. So you're taking those notes for your clients and you're thinking, oh my God, I need to return that phone call. I need to be aware of those notes for this afternoon. I need to be aware of my kids in the background and what about tomorrow, et cetera. So you're always checking and rechecking to make sure you're working on the right thing. You're not accomplishing anything. You're just constantly checking and rechecking. Now, when your brain has been doing that, when you have chosen to work that way for years, you have rewired your brain. Like, check it out. Go and go in terms of what neuroscientists believe in terms of multitasking, and you'll see what it does to your brain. It rewires it to be unfocused, distracted, not particularly good at accomplishing or discerning priorities because everything is just a priority. You're still scanning the grizzlies as to what's going to kill you. And it's so important not to confuse both. So we cannot clone ourselves. Multitasking does, 
is not what we define it to be. What we're doing is FOMO, fear of missing out, scanning the landscapes for grizzlies. How can you change that? With a lot of practice, small moments. And I, I'm going to, I can send you an article if you want to forward it. Um, I have a couple of articles about multitasking and alternatives, which are called serial tasking, where someone will start to reclaim the power of their brain by focusing on one thing at a time for as little as 10 or 15 minutes. And the idea is you're rewiring progressively your brain. This will take a lot of practice. Remember that learning curve we talked about, it's not a diagonal, it's a lot of up and downs. So you'll get good days and bad days. But the alternative is, is simply continuing to do the same thing over and over again. What I'm asking you is to take back control over your technology, take back control over your brain, and you decide where this is going to be so that it serves you as a business owner, you as a parent, you as a person who deserves a life. Let's give our listeners a visual of what it looks like on the other side. You know, I think now we, our listeners can, they can picture themselves in what we've been talking about. And it can be hard to make the thing real until we see what it looks like for other people who have done it. So as we wrap up here, can you give us some examples of people you've worked with and how their lives are different after having committed to taking incremental, consistent, small steps? I'll do that, of course, protecting the anonymity of the people I speak with. But if I can give you kind of a typical or case story would be someone who would come and see me uh, feeling pretty desperate. They're so inadequate. They're feeling they're not going to make it. They're a small business owner. They can see themselves. There's too much on their plate. They're, they're, they get the feeling that there's something wrong, but they don't know what it is. And then they realize they're in a burnout. And we put some parameters in place where we, we're actually cutting back on their workday significantly, where we're keeping it under 7.5 hours a day maximum, taking regular breaks, so dis detachment breaks, getting more sleep, allowing themselves enough downtime. Most people in North America is not getting the sleep we need. We need at least seven to eight hours. And so getting that, getting days off, taking as much time off as they can actually afford to take and cutting back, like literally looking at every demand and asking myself, or asking themselves, is this something I need to do? Is this something that is in, in, in view of my GPS where I want to lead myself and my family and my business? So their days start to feel a lot less cluttered and they literally decide on the parameters they're going to apply to their life. Now, how long does it take? I would say on average about a couple of years. And I think that if you are ready to do something like that, you should know that it's going to take you time, that you know, new habits take time. And you're going to have to practice something a long time before it becomes natural. See your life as being on ski tracks. You know those cross-country ski tracks and they're parallel? And you've been in those same ski tracks for about 30 years of your life. And you're always going back to overworking, always, you know, finishing your day super late, you know, rolling out of bed and checking your phone first thing. You know, you, when you try something different and let's say you decide instead of rolling out of 
out of bed and hugging your phone instead of hugging your spouse or your kids, you decide on something different and taking maybe 15 minutes for yourself to just have a quiet morning or maybe sip your cup of coffee before you check your emails or whatever it is. You're going to want to fall right back into those key tracks because they're deep, they're comfortable, that's where you've been. You're, it's going to feel sleeper, slippery up there. So you're going to go back into those key tracks again and again and again. And your feeling will be that binary mode. Why even try? I can't see any progress, but you are progressing. There are good days. And even 10% progress is progress. Give the example to my clients. You know, if you've got a credit card and it's 20% interest, you know, you think that this is scandalous. You know, how come we don't see a 20% progress as being amazing? And so we need to stop at getting into those 80% is good, but anything underneath doesn't, you know, is not valuable. When you're practicing new habits, it's going to be a five or 10% progress in a month. It's not going to be a hundred in three weeks. And it's being patient and considerate and respectful that you will need a lot of practice before you have new ski tracks, the ones that work for you. I love this. This has been so helpful. Catherine Morissette, thank you so much for coming on the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you so much for having me. My takeaways from this conversation are many. First is that the problem won't solve itself. If you want a different experience of your days and how you feel, you have to make choices that are different than the ones you've been making. The second is learner's mindset. Learning anything takes time, and getting good at it is not a linear trajectory with a nice, steep, and consistent slope. Rather, it's a bumpy road of progress, missteps, and recommitting to improving. But what stood out to me the most were the notions of managing your own energy stores. No one can do this except you and managing your own inner space. No one will protect it and manage it for you. We covered a lot of ground, and if you're wondering where to start, the answer is simply to start small. What is one step that you can take today that will make the day a little bit better? You have to take it small, because if you try and take it big, you're right back into overwhelm. The small steps that Catherine mentioned are take a 30-minute lunch break without checking your phone, Decide what time you're going to shut down at the end of the day and put your cell phone up in the cupboard with the double stuff Oreos or ask your partner to hide it in the Brussels sprouts. The links to the articles that Catherine mentioned are in the show notes for this episode. And you know that I'm a big fan of working smarter and providing more value to fewer clients so that you don't have to work so many hours. If you want to know exactly how to do this, subscribe to my newsletter to get free advice delivered right to your inbox. Just click the subscribe link in the show notes. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.